0: The following podcast is sponsored
1: by SuperHeroStuff.com. Hello, everyone. This is Timothy Harvey, and I am here in Kansas City while Mr. Hunt is not.
0: Down in the Southern Command. Uh, Taking a few days for spring break. Visiting our Texas affiliate. And we are recording this with a very a very jury-rigged uh, setup this week. So uh, it's 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 almost like we're using relics from the old days on on uh, on this episode. So hello everyone, if you want to join us uh, sharing your thoughts on our various different topics of discussion, H2O at sci-fi for me.com is the email. And speaking of relics Got the news late last week. Walt Disney Company uh, confirming that Steven Spielberg and Harrison Ford were coming back, along with Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall, for Indiana Jones and the the (laughs) fill-in-the-blank. And uh,
1: (laughs) There's a a parody bit right there.
0: Yeah, we don't know what the blank is going to be. Uh, but given the fact that, that Ford is now, what, 77, uh, they're probably going to have to set it in the 60s, One maybe. would think. So I guess Harrison Ford meets the Beatles
1: or something. Uh, see, you know what? That would be fine. Um, well, what kind of. What the kind real of, question.
0: What kind of movie would question... it be? Because the 50s, well, the 50s we had the B-movie, you know, the monster movie, B-movie things, the sci-fi, which is what. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was. But what kind of movie dominated the sixties? You had the cop thrillers in the seventies, but uh well, I don't know yeah, what kind uh, of sixties well, sixties were Bond movies. Well, see, and a lot of people think that Bond is the is the at least the the thematic heir to Indiana Jones in, in some respects. And they were saying, you know, I, I saw some chatter online that was basically saying, you know, Indy's indie's done. Indy's played out once you get past the, the 50s, you get into the 60s, then it's all James Bond movies. You just let him take over. So what would you do? What kind of Indiana Jones story would you tell in the 60s?
1: Well, you still have the Cold War going on. And um let's see, what... uh Well, the sixties, would that still be Korea? So you could still have an Yeah, the Korea well the Korean
0: War I think was done in fifty
1: nine. I'd have to I would have to look that up. But yeah, it's um it's a good question. And the question that I'm sure many people will also want to know is who else is coming back with him for this one? Yes. Yes. We've uh, we've already had a
0: discussion here whether or not John Williams would be back. Because Frank Marshall and Kathleen Kennedy back as producers, as they were on the original set. Uh, one would think that uh, Marion uh, right. would be back, Karen Allen would be back. Because, interestingly enough, I saw an article, I think it was on io9 Gizmodo. I don't know, what do we call the, call those people now? Gizmo, Gizmodo I just call nine? them io9. io9 yeah. uh, put out the, uh, the theory, the speculation that crystal skull actually does serve a purpose to set up an interesting take on the Indiana Jones story now that he's married and has a family and so now there's that emotional i have things to do and um you know go save the world but i'm leaving a family behind so there's a there's an emotional uh, depth uh, another layer to the character now that has never been explored before, and and you have that question of, what does his new family status, his new his new domestic status, how does that impact his daring do and his adventuring across the world uh, in in his archaeological job? So you know, well, of
1: course, it, you got to look at you got to look at the fact that he's, you know, not the dashing young man of world war 2. So, right. Um, you know, I I think that it there's there's certainly a lot of potential there. Uh I'm my biggest concern would be that we would get a family in danger story. Um because I think th- I mean and, and I'm not saying that can't be done well and there couldn't be something really really cool to be done with that. I'm just saying that it's it's the obvious solution. Oh, you could do you could do Swiss Family
0: Jones. <laughs> Strand them all on an island.
1: Well, okay, but the other the other question is, do we have to have Shia Labouff back? I don't think so.
0: I I would think that they've learned um and well if they have the character of Mutt back, maybe maybe some other character or some other actor plays him. But I wouldn't mind seeing a short round again.
1: Well, and uh, this is this is something that actually came up, um, has come up recently in in the discussion of this coming back, is that um, as they are as they are products of their time, and we've talked about this before. That the, um, in many ways, with with genre fiction or fiction in general, you need to take in, uh, into account when it was made mm-hmm. and what the cultural mores were at the time. And um, there's you know, if you if you, and that it's not wise to stare directly at too much uh because you'll you'll go crazy because if you you know look at something like temple of doom you realize that basically you know indy essentially kidnapped a small child um and (laughs) you know it's like wait a minute he he has no legal guardianship over this child what's what's going on that we know of Um, Right, but there was instead, never if, anything if not,
0: established as really what that relationship was. Whether he just picked him up well, yeah, straight it, or he was he was actually part of a well, sure, part of a and that's and,
1: the, and that's kind of part of the problem. Uh, and that's what you know. It's some people have looked at that and said, you know, there's a uh, you know, it's a very odd, weird situation there. It would be great to bring the character back. It would be great to have this be. You know, bring back any character you can bring back and give them a solid storyline to to play with. Don't just bring them back for nostalgia's sake. Right. You know, don't don't have them just show up as a cameo. Bring them back and make them be part of the story. Um, well, and and John Rhys
0: Davies, uh, you know, uh, after seeing him on the Shinara Chronicles all this time, he he looks better than he has in years. I yeah. I, I I would love to see Sala come back in some capacity. Oh, sure. well, a, Sala
1: was always a very good uh, a a great character in, in his own yes. right but also a i have the paper character. here run
0: yes today's yeah. newspaper right here Run. yeah i want i want something i i want something with salah again
1: that's that'd be great well and, and if character. you bring if and if you bring short round back um of course using uh, uh any other name than that um then you have an opportunity for an asian heroic character Oh sure. Uh, well,
0: plus the fact that he's, you know, the actor who played him has uh, a long career as a stuntman now. He can do mm-hmm. all of his own his, uh, all of his own stunts.
1: Well, and you could you know, if you wanted if you wanted to recast Mutt, you could you could uh, uh bring in Chris Pratt and watch everybody's head explode since you know they keep talking about him <laughs> as the Oh, I saw rebooting, rebooting this series with him uh, playing Indy.
0: Oh, what did I say? I saw um where they find uh, they find the fountain of youth, and he mm-hmm. drinks from the cup. He drinks he drinks from the fountain of youth, and you know lowers his head, and his head comes back up, and he's Chris Pratt. Right. <laughs> oh, you know. Okay, so you do you do Swiss Family Jones. Uh, they're on a cruise, uh, um, Indy and Marion and Sala, and they're on a vacation, and it mut if you have to. They get stranded on the island of Liang Yu, where they meet <laughs> Short, Short Round. They catch up with Short Round, who's there on a on a on a sabbatical. He's he's on a on a soul searching walkabout. Um, that his that his mentor uh, said, "Grasshopper, go to the island. See, we we can, we can map this out in five minutes, and we'll have a good a, a good story." Send your <laughs> do, checks do we to. Know who's, do we know who's writing it? No, they do not have a writer yet. All we know is that Spielberg is going to direct again, and Harrison Ford is going to star. That's all we know. I don't. I don't. I, I don't think I would expect that George Lucas probably is not going to be involved in any way, except maybe as a story consultant. You know, give him a give him a a, a vanity credit like they did with Gene Roddenberry in the Star Trek movies. But I wouldn't expect that Lucas would be involved uh at this point since he sold Lucasfilm and he's done, essentially. Um but yeah, it I, I find it interesting that it's you know, so quickly after Star Wars and the death of Han Solo that now we have Indiana Jones five being announced. I wonder if this could be The Swan Song, if this could be, if Indy's death would happen in this movie as well. Maybe Harrison Ford is on a tour to kill off all of his old popular characters so he doesn't blame them.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, I think think that's a possibility, although I would be more inclined to think that it won't be so much a death scene as definitely the cap on the story of Indiana Jones. Um, You know, this is the, you know, tie it all off with a bow. You know if nothing else, you're getting him riding off into the sunset one last time again, um, you could yeah again yeah. <laughs> but uh um you know i think I think there's a certain there's a certain understandability to uh, you when you've established a character like Indiana Jones or Han Solo or you know any of these iconic characters to give it a chance to play them one more time to give them a proper exit. Um, when you are still, when you are still active, when you are still capable, um, and when you have somebody who's had a, you know, you know, he's had a very long career, um, and, but we all get older and we all have that, that if we have the, if we have the opportunity to go back and, and play that, you know, famous part one more time, um, then I can certainly understand taking it, uh,
0: well and and you know we heard early on that one of the one of the conditions for him to come back as Han solo was that he wanted to do Indiana Jones at least uh i heard, I had heard that the deal was he gets two more so could this be one of two that we're going to get, or could this just be he's just decided this is this is the one and I'm done and we're we're you know, we're sailing off and never to be heard from again.
1: I would almost just hope that we're getting one on the very simple fact that we, we've we seen time and time again how long it takes to get a script off the ground for an Indiana Jones film. Right. And um, unless Although, they're writing two at the same time right now.
0: Yeah, but circumstances being what they are now, everything is different. Because in the past, it's always been you know Spielberg and Lucas and Ford all have to sign off on the story and if if Lucas is now not part of the mix which we're
1: not sure
0: of which we're not sure of but if if Marshall and Kennedy are produ- producing again like they used to all Kathleen Kennedy has to do is say this guy X is going to write the script and let's get the
1: script so, right, you know, but the, I mean, way, but the, the people looking...
0: the people in charge are different now. Sure.
1: So but I could... mean, you still have to have a you still have to have a script that Spielberg's happy with and that Luke that uh, Ford is happy with. True. And, you know, that's not always an easy thing to do. And um, you know, the uh, the developmental process, all these different things you're looking at. What was it? 2017, 2018? No, the release date is July of 2019. Twenty nineteen. Okay. Yeah. So all right. So there's there's one in twenty in twenty nineteen, and then, so you're looking at probably what another three years after that, unless they shoot them back to back. Sure. They shoot them I mean, together. It's a possibility.
0: Um, so I don't you know. Part I, one I or part think too, like all the other franchises are doing nowadays for their final. Their, uh, well, well, that that actually, okay, because you look at Hunger Games, you look at Divergent, uh, you look at Harry Potter. Um, how many of them took the last book and split it into two movies? You know well, the sure, trend. But... The trend for the final story, uh, for these big, these big franchise tentpole films would be two. You know, part one, part two. You know, Avengers: Infinity War. We're getting two parts. So uh,
1: what well, if but there's,
0: there's Indiana uh, Jones comes in two parts so they film them back to back and they release them like a year apart?
1: Yeah, you could certainly do that. Uh, but also bear in mind that is a pretty intense production scu- schedule for any crew and cast. And most of the films that they've done this kind of thing with have been much, much younger casts. Right. Um, so it's I mean, it's certainly a possibility. I just don't know that it's necessary. Um the the problem with these big double picture things is that when you've got something to adapt that say the last Harry Potter book was a very thick book there were there were many many pages to this book they had a lot of story to wrap up right and um as as every you know all our listeners know adapting a book to a film is not a seamless process uh there is Uh, There are significant challenges to making text into visuals. Wait, what? You can't just take the book and go, okay, here's the scene. Go shoot it. What? (laughs) That'd be awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, that'd be great. Um, But no. Um, So it's, I don't know, it's, I would be inclined to think that we're going to get one, really blow the lid off, wrap everything up, make everybody go, wow, wow. Uh, one last time with Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones and and that'd be it. I'm I don't know that we need uh a big epic four hour I'm not I'm not saying I don't want one. I'm just saying I don't know that we need one or that it's going to necessarily be a good idea. I mean I give me you know Harrison Ford all the time. You know, I think you know, he's a, fanta- he's a f- fantastic actor. He's part of he's part of my Movie viewing life, right? You know, so he's somebody who's been there since I was a kid, and you know, when when uh, when he's finally gone, that's going to be, you know, this another another giant hole uh, in in the psyche there. Um, and it's interesting, of course, you know, it's we all if you. A lot of people have heard, of course, the stories of Sylvester Stallone putting off making his contracted films of Rocky and Rambo because he, you know, he he was kind of the, the prevailing theory was that he was kind of trying to age himself out of the parts. Right. So he wouldn't have to play him again. And then he came back and gave us the most violent Rambo in the entire series and a really solid from all accounts and I haven't seen it yet but a really solid performance as, as Rocky and Creed well um, his turn in Rocky Balboa even
0: you know it, oh yeah it's, no, it's that was very good really good i mean that's i i would say that Rocky Balboa is probably the maybe uh, it'd be tied with for me with the first one for the best of the series
1: well, and what's interesting about Rocky Balboa is that the because the style of storytelling changed mm-hmm. you yeah. actually ended up with a richer film because audience because they're they're making it's a if you I'm not saying you couldn't make that kind of film that the first Rocky was now, but it would not have the same strength I think because there's a there was a uh, know, a surface level to a lot of storytelling. Again, it's just what audiences what audiences want more of, what studios are producing more. It's just like you know TV from the '70s and '80s, right? Right. Um, you know, you wouldn't get you wouldn't get Daredevil on Netflix. You know, made by a studio know ABC, NBC, CBS in the 1980s. You just wouldn't. You know, that kind of storytelling just wasn't done,
0: right? Well, so. and and you know not only the the surface storytelling, but the subtext, because there's a lot of subtext oh, yeah. in the first in the first Rocky that there you get echoes of in Rocky Balboa. There's there's a lot of stuff under there that uh, that really pulls out when you when you stop and, and think about it. And I think there's an opportunity here to do that with the next Indiana Jones. Because you could... There was a little bit of that in Crystal Skull, but there was, I think, too much time spent trying to develop the whole uh, mutt relationship that could have oh, been yeah. better served in other places in the story. But I think that you have an opportunity here to go back and revisit. Okay, well, now Indy's a family man. He's the father. How does he treat his son um you know the the relationship with with Marion there's a lot of opportunity there to to go back to the first movie and that dynamic between Indy and Marion when we first met them and revisit a little bit of that and, and you know that 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 tension that heat between them where, what's happened to it over all of these years and, and there's a there's a Ginormous possibility there. Uh, for oh well, a sure. Really, I mean, you could, really good story.
1: Well, and, and it it really kind of depends on what kind of story they want to tell. If they want to do a pulpy action adventure kind of thing, and I think I think in some ways that was actually my biggest problem with the Crystal Skull. Um, aside from, uh, I'm I'm just not a Shia LaBeouf fan. I mean, so that there was that, but. It's the fact that it's the pulp nineteen forties adventurer kind of thing doesn't necessarily fit in the science fiction genre the same way. I mean, it's it's um, you know you can do it and it might have been the best we could possibly ask for, but they're not really the same thing. Right, it's a it's it's a melding of genres and and sometimes that works really really well and sometimes it doesn't and I just the, maybe this the tone wasn't quite right ultimately for me with that film although I enjoyed it um,
0: my my only objection to Crystal Skull was the jungle chase it was too long and it was too obviously CG which I'm wondering you know the longer I think about it the, the farther out I get from that I wonder if it was obvious CG on purpose because they're making the 1950s schlock B-movie science fiction film. And the special effects in those films were not always all that great. And I you have know what, to um, wonder.
1: I, I tell you what, uh, when I the, the music video I directed, we did that with all the car shots. So all the car shots were shot against green screen. And they were basically, a re, as much as we could, a reproduction of the old process shots. Right. Um, and and I would say that that would be a really really cool thing for Crystal Skull, but it didn't come across like that for me because it felt like CG versus process shots. Yeah, and there is a difference. And for the folks, uh, I'm I'm okay for the folks at home who, who don't know what we're talking about when we say process shot. Uh, basically, in the old days, uh, they would not put a car on a trailer and drive it around Los Angeles. Uh, They would put it in a studio, and they'd have a projection screen, and they would be projecting a street scene on that, and they'd be shooting through the car, and then you'd see that projection screen, that that screen in the background. So there'd be a movie being shot in the background of the car. Um, And sometimes you can have a lot of fun and go see when they don't make a lot of sense. Um, Yeah, yeah. Or 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 are repeated uh, that that would pop up too. It depend it depended on the studio, it depended on the budget. Uh, but every now and again, you sit there and go, that is completely the wrong angle.
0: Or or even you know if if you've got to turn you, you know you got to either turn a corner or you go around a curve, and you have to time it and make sure that the person who is driving the car turns the wheel at the right time, or if blows the whole thing out of the water
1: uh that actually was that actually was a problem with the music video is i really had i had about three seconds too short mm. a shot yeah uh, f- uh of, of the best of the takes of the take that i really wanted to use and i'm like um i will find a way to make this work uh <laughs> but yeah so it's i mean again i i i think that if i had you know, if I had got more of that impression that that's what they were trying to do, um, and it certainly wouldn't have been out of out of character, but for for the filmmakers, um, I just think unfortunately it was just um, you know one of those bad CG things where you go, oh that didn't age well at all. Yeah, that didn't age well, and they just did it like a year ago.
0: Yeah, for me, it, for me, the 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 chase with the monkeys in the jungle that was that was the the place where they probably could have trimmed if they would trimmed maybe 5 6 minutes of that the film would
1: have been well and, well and and it's it's a silly scene it is i mean it's it's just it's just played for humor it's not played for you know it's it's not a it's not there, the kind no, of there's no there's no danger there's no danger in it. yeah there yeah no sense of tension no. and in the in the first three films, there were there certainly there were chase scenes, but they had uh, a much more um, tense feeling, and a lot of that because it was practical.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, the mine the mine chase in Temple of Doom um, was fantastic because you had you know like I said it's it's all practical. You have um, I remember seeing a, a documentary on how they made it, and you have a, a little 35 millimeter SLR camera on a track, and it's rolling along that little mini mine track, that model that they had, and it's snapping one frame per second, and it just it's one frame and it moves forward and it's another frame and and, and it's basically a stop motion. You know, they they went through that entire thing with this camera snapping one picture at a time. And it was just fascinating to watch because they're making this stuff up. This technology that they're using, half of it, you know, Industrial Light and Magic is just making it up. They're figuring it out as they go. And that's that's. As enjoyable to watch for me
1: as it is to watch the movie itself well you know there are there are certain filmmakers who have been on the cutting edge of of the technology because they um have you know they've needed to do something and they're you know they or they wanted to do something and there just you know there was just no way to do it. There was no there was no nobody had nobody had, had walked that path before. And when you have someone like Spielberg or Lucas or uh, Cameron, um, who are able to sit there and go, oh, "Okay, let's you know here's here's the money, go make it happen, you know, figure it out." Um, it's made some really impressive technological advances that we don't. We kind of take for granted when we look at movies now. We don't realize how much of that stuff is actually relatively recent. Right. I mean remember when bullet time was a big deal? Oh yeah. And when you think about it, that's just a whole bunch of cameras in a big circle. <laughs>
0: that's
1: all it well, really is. And
0: and we've actually we've actually done a shot like that. They had uh they had a a rig set up down at uh Dallas Comic Con one year um where it's basically and now it's not it's it's video of sorts but it basically you've got this 360 degree ring of of DSLRs and they fire a picture on all of them and then they stitch them together into a video and it's that, it's that you know 360 the camera is all the way around them type of thing and it it's really a fun piece, but you know at at the time where you know it's a still, but it's a 360 degree still, and I thought that was kind of cool. But yeah, I mean this, the the advances in the technology are such that you know there's there's some even more, bigger opportunities for Indy five because of all of the capabilities they have, and when you think about too you know you look at what they did with Star Wars and the the emphasis on mixing the effects toolkit we're not just going to rely on cg we're going to have practical models and we're going to have sets and we're going to have the physical elements um i think you know now that we've seen it in play with Star Wars, I feel a lot more comfortable with an Indiana Jones Five because Kathleen Kennedy's in charge. And she didn't screw up Star Wars.
1: Well, I think I think the important thing about Star Wars is it, it, it it's part of a it's part of a bigger a bigger issue is that when the ability came along to do the kind of immersive CGI work that we can do now where you can build an entire film out of effect shots and just insert actors there was a lot of question whether or not we even need we're going to need actors for much longer because you could basically build them right and and this of course has proven to be you know they've you know as the uncanny valley effect where we have these CGI people who are just not right it doesn't matter how good the technology is and the animators are doing a fantastic job not to knock their work in any way shape or form but there really is a difference between a living breathing person and a cgi person um at some point i'm sure we will get to the point where we're not looking at him going all right i do not want to wake up and find that in my room you know i'm Um, a
0: c you know i'm a cgi person right I'm not real. I
1: knew it. I knew it. I've always <laughs> suspected that of you. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, 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 the larger part of that, uh, in, in when you look at something like the Star Wars prequels and, and, you know, The Force Awakens, is that actors need a space to act in. They need yes. people to act off of. Yeah. That's what, that, that's, you know, the, yes, you can, you can have actors who could do an entire show all by themselves and there's some beautiful, beautiful one-man shows and, and, and that sort of thing. Or tiny casts in films, you know, uh, uh, there's some great films that have like two or three people in them. But, you know, having, having someone that, for that actor to play off of, something some to play off of, a, a tangible, realistic space for them to move in, it helps the actor perform. Um, I've you know I've done you know I've done theater I've done I've done film as an actor and it is there's an energy you get from working with other people there's an energy you get from working in a space um, that feels real that feels like the environment it it takes away some of the the heavy lifting an actor has to do to create a character right if you're move if you're moving through a space that is the character space and you don't have to be visualizing that in your head because they're going to put it all in later in post.
0: Yeah, you um, can actually see it and feel it and and get a sense of how this character moves within this
1: space. Right. And yeah. that actually is a is a very helpful thing for an actor to to not have to be spending a portion of their processing power <laughs> trying to sit there and go and that's where the window is, and <laughs> that giant, that tennis ball, you know, ten feet up in the air is, you know, where the where the monster is or whatever. You, know. right. um, so yeah, I mean it's 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 a it's a benefit to the f- to the performance of the actor and to the overall performance of the film when you can just be in that space. You know, yeah, you can get some amazing amazing stuff from CG environments, and and there's a place for those, but um. Until we're basically making, you know, three D CGI animated pictures, we're going to go full whole hog and just, you know, make the whole thing, uh, you know, uh, and one hundred percent CGI. Then it's still always going to be better to have that space for the actor to play in.
0: Right. I don't know that I could ever take a fully rendered CG Indiana Jones film. Well, it
1: would by by default. I think it wouldn't look like any of the other films because I think the the animators would know that we would have a really hard time with that. Yeah. I think you know, we've, we have there's plenty of evidence that we would. So it would be some sort of stylized uh, version of it, which would basically be the Indiana Jones cartoon, <laughs> and which uh, wouldn't
0: necessarily be a bad thing. No,
1: it wouldn't. Uh, it but wouldn't necessarily I, be a bad thing. You could do, you could do that.
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't think they would go that route for the swan song for the franchise, though.
1: No, no, of course not, no. I think no. You would, I think if you wanted to go back and play in the 1930s or 40s and do a, do a really cool animated Indiana Jones, I would, I would have no problem with that if you wanted to cut, you know, as long as you had a good story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and an interesting animation style. That would be one of those things where you would need to really think about how you wanted it to look. Uh, or
0: you could, or you could use CG and and de-age Harrison Ford and put a body double in for the stunts and do it that way.
1: Yeah, no, like they did with Michael yeah. Douglas and Ant Man. Yeah, but they only—he was only on screen for what five minutes, like that. Well, yeah. I'm not
0: saying it's a perfect technology, but there's there's no that no. opportunity. Speaking of franchises, did look... yes and, and speaking of of amazing, amazing stuff, uh, we do have a partnership here. Uh our sponsor, superhero stuff dot com. We just got a big box from them with all sorts of really cool things inside of it. Uh some some T shirts for our Salacious Crumbs host McKenna Riley, and some new magnets and some uh, Funko Pop figures and all sorts of, uh, of neat stuff. Go go check that out. Uh, they have different levels of the Hero Box. I think right now the Hero Box is a Batman 5 Superman uh, themed uh, box of stuff that you can get. And uh, coming up on our 115th episode which is our 100th episode with superhero stuff, we're going to give away a Hero Box to a lucky listener so uh be be uh uh, sticking around for details on that and uh, when we come back our favorite indiana jones moments and we might talk about some other stuff when h2o continues right after this this is sci-fi for me radio Where can you get the latest cool superhero and sci-fi merchandise? SuperheroStuff.com! From t-shirts to keychains to cookie jars and everything in between, Superhero Stuff has added more buyers to the staff, which means more stuff,
1: which means more for you to choose from. And don't forget the Hero Box, the Must-Have Superhero Mystery Box, a $70 value, just $49. Visit SuperheroStuff.com today and gear up with your favorites. SuperheroStuff.com!
0: where heroes shop. Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is back, and so is our discussion of each and every episode as we gather down in the super-secret underground bunker at World Headquarters. Join us for recaps, analysis, and discussion, with a few digressions along the way, and you do have security clearance to listen. Level 117 every week, part of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, only on Sci-Fi For your portal to the science fiction multiverse. Whoa, where'd you get that shirt? Bought it at the convention last week. It's an Atomic Cotton design. Atomic Cotton? Yep, they got t-shirt designs from sci-fi, horror,
1: cult films. All the shirts were really unique and fun. I had to get one. I gotta wait for another convention, though. Nope. AtomicCotton.com. I ordered a shirt. Shipping was super fast.
0: Atomic Cotton. Where Erica and Zach combine their passion for art and film to create wearable art. All original, made with a love for the genre. Coming to a convention near you very soon. Or find them on the web at AtomicCotton.com. Atomic Cotton. Shirts and art for fans by fans.
1: This is meteorologist Brian Busby. If you're traveling to a convention, be sure to check the weather. We have the latest forecast on the conventions page every week at scififorme.com.
0: Back on H2O, Jason Hunt down in the Southern Command in Texas. Dallas, to be precise. And uh, in, in near the home office, Timothy Harvey is here as well. I am. And we are talking Indiana Jones and the fill-in-the-blank. The new the new entry into the franchise, release date, locked in already July 19th, 2019, which is a week after the reported, the alleged release date of Marvel's the Humans, which is also a Disney franchise, so we've been pretty speculating. Pretty sure that
1: date is moving.
0: Yeah, pretty sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure that that one's going to move, if it gets made at all, and we discussed that uh, that possibility over on the most recent level, 11E7, which you can find over on iTunes or podcast.com or Stitcher. Um, Got to get a plug in for our other shows, of course. Um, you yeah, know, it's it's funny that we get Indy 5 announced after Star Wars because that we also have uh, Blade Runner 2 in development. Right. Um, it almost does seem like... Harrison Ford is revisiting all of his iconic characters one last time, and he's already killed off Harrison, uh, He's killed off Han Solo. Do you think he's killing off everybody? Do you think Rick Deckard is going to die?
1: Well, see, I could see Deckard dying a lot more logically in terms of a story than uh, Indiana Jones dying. Yeah. Uh, well, because Indiana I Jones think. lives to
0: be a very, very old man, because we saw him in Young Indiana Jones Chronicles.
1: Sure, and as long as the... Uh, okay, so the question there becomes, is the larger movie audience um, caring about Young Indiana Jones Chronicles? Um, and, you know, you could... It is... It would be unfortunate, but you could easily look at that and go, yeah, yeah, we're just going to ignore that. Um, yeah. But uh, when it comes to Blade Runner the interesting thing about blade runner of course is that depending on which version of the film you watched uh then you have the question as to whether or not deckard is actually human <laughs> <laughs> and, right or, well actually even even better than that depending on which which person you ask whether you ask the director or the actor you know cuz they don't agree um you know and Ridley Scott has said that yeah, Deckard's a replicant. And Harrison Ford has said, no, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah, it's it's but I could I could see him I could I could see the character dying uh in the sequel. I think that it would be there's a certain tragedy to the world of Blade Runner. There's a oh, certain Oh yeah, melancholy. because it's I mean it's it's the ultimate
0: science fiction noir film. Yeah. And um, noir is all about tragedy.
1: Oh yeah! If he, uh, the the appropriate way, of course, for him to die would be at the hands of a beautiful, deadly, um, raven-haired, <laughs> red-clad, you know, femme fatale kind of of character. Uh, and that would be that would be the perfect noir send off for him, right? But it's it's it. I'm very very curious to see what they do with the world of that film because, of course, for those of you old enough to remember, the the reason that that the world of Blade Runner looked like it did was because there was this, there was this idea that we were basically that Japanese culture was going to more or less you know roll just roll over the us at some point you know because there was there was there were financial reasons for that there were cultural reasons there were social reasons all these different things right trade deficits yeah and and so there was this idea that this was going to be you know at one point we would we would basically be owned um not only by the corporations but by foreign corporations
0: what do you mean doc all the best stuff's made in japan Unbelievable. Yeah, exactly. uh,
1: and interestingly enough, uh, now we have uh, um, several U.S. studios are now owned by foreign companies. Um,
0: yeah. Now, now that didn't always work out for the foreign companies. There was there was a run for a while where you know people like like Sony wanted to get into the studio business, and you know what uh, were uh, some of the other some of the other Japanese companies that. That got involved, and I was reading somewhere. Oh, how long ago was it? But there was there was a while there, where the studios weren't making as much money as people thought they should, that the Japanese mm-hmm. companies thought they should, and they were all looking to divest themselves and say, "Hey, this isn't working out so well." And I don't, right. I don't, I honestly, I don't remember how far back that was, but I don't know. I don't know now how many Japanese companies still own Hollywood studios. I mean, you've got the you've got the new deal now with the uh, with the with the with the deal in China, right? But, uh, you which, know, I th- of course which I think got is Sony, but I don't I don't know uh, how many of the other studios are owned by Japanese interests anymore.
1: I don't I don't honestly don't think any of them are. I could be wrong, and and feel free to correct us and and you know let us know if we've if we're wrong on that, but h2o@ziffreverme.com. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> but the the dynamic is different. I mean, yeah. the the whole reason that we have China buying American studios is because the market in China is gigantic. Um, it is the biggest film market out there, and it's a captive audience. Right. Because they're only letting in what is it? Is, is it's like fifteen or twenty American films a year? Is it that little? I hadn't, I hadn't yeah, seen it's, a, it's, a, a total count, but it's it, it it might be more than that, but I don't think so. I think it I know a it's a really small number. Yeah, it's very yeah, it's, busy, well, it's, it's very, very restrictive, high,
0: very controlled. But because um,
1: they don't like people the, getting ideas in their ideas are dangerous. Well, but they also don't translate well, and that is something that. One of the reasons that you don't see as many smaller films as we used to and we're seeing more blockbusters, you know, is that the blockbuster sells overseas a lot better than the character piece because cultural differences make a huge, huge difference when you're doing film. Yeah. So if you've got a romantic comedy uh, in the States, it may not play well in Brazil. Or, um, you know, uh, Nigeria or Czechoslovakia or, um, you know, any, any or China, because because the romantic conventions are different and the, the, the social jokes are completely different. Right. Um, you know, there was a there was something I saw about the translation for one of the Iron Man films in China just didn't make any sense. Oh yeah. well, uh,
0: you look at—I I remember there was an episode of *Mash*, and I want to say it was the final episode, but I could be wrong on that. Where Klinger um, got a wedding dress for Soon Lee, mm-hmm. and he got her a white wedding dress. Of course, you know he's an American. What is he going to do? He gets her a wedding dress. She opens up the box and just starts bawling just comes apart and Klinger's like, What'd I do? And she says, You get me a funeral dress. Because over there in Korea They don't wear white to weddings, they wear white to funerals. Mm-hmm. And the cultural uh divide was, you know, of course it was played for laughs on, on MASH. But you're right, there there are there are certain things in uh the American idiom uh well we see it now even I've I've recently gotten involved in producing Spanish versions of T V commercials here in the Kansas City market. And you know, talking to talking to people about translating the scripts from English to Spanish, uh we've even run into that in, in local TV commercials where idioms oh, sure. and certain phrases they don't translate to Spanish, you yep. know. They don't. They don't say this in Spanish. <laughs> we have to make something else completely up to to get the same point across, because uh, it, you know American slang doesn't translate. So yeah, oh, I, I, sure. can, well, I can I you... can totally see that there are certain films that just wouldn't play in in overseas markets at all.
1: Well, in the days the days when everything was. The you know we all went to the movies to see the movies are long long gone. Yeah, you know the advent the advent of the VHS tape. I still have uh, some of those, by the way. Oh, so do I. I have, I have I have a big big box in the closet, and I have a machine that will still play them. Thank you very See, much. Mine's mine's broken. I need I need to find I need to go to like a thrift store or something. The 19, as as has been pointed
0: out by by my best friend, the nineteen eighties is alive and well in my house.
1: Hey, there's something wrong with the nineteen eighties. There's nothing wrong with the nineteen eighties. I had a lot of good times in the nineteen eighties. Blade Runner came uh, out in the nineteen eighties. Indiana Jones came out, out in the nineteen eighties. Die Hard came out in the nineteen eighties. Ooh, yes yeah it's it's a it's a very curious thing um what the the world of Blade Runner will look like I mean do you stay in that world where it's got that that sort of uh future noir you know uh, uh East Asian influence, or do you have it a little bit to take into account some of the the more current views of the future, although oddly enough, we don't really have those anymore right we in the in the 70s 80s and 90s we all had this idea and uh, so much of it was based on politics and economics and social uh uh events that we we every time we looked forward into the future you know 20 30 years we had this idea it's like oh it's gonna be like this and we were we you know there was a lot of people who were who were saying it's gonna be like this and it wasn't. <laughs> it just so we kind of we stopped doing that. Yeah,
0: I have a feeling that if they did, you know, they'll they'll project forward a little bit on technology uh, a little. Mm-hmm. But I have a feeling if they do it right, that that the environment we get in the next Blade Runner is going to be very close to what we got in the first one. I don't think they're going to stray I... very far from it. Um, well, I don't think really, they should. I mean, if you look at our economy now, if you look at where we are now as a as a society, and you look at where we were, uh, what twenty years ago or forty years ago, technology changes. Yes, we get the the great and powerful internet that makes us all stupid human beings. But in terms of society and in terms of people. There's not a whole lot that's changed, and, no, I, think and I, th- I think people I think have come to that realization. Would. Yeah, that you know, thing, things aren't going to be all that different 40, 50, 100 years from now. We're just going to have different machines to do different pieces of the work. So yeah, I would, I, I would I, expect Blade Runner Two is going to have a lot of the same visual aesthetic that the first one did,
1: which which I would, would actually so.
0: work to its credit.
1: Yeah. Well, if you if you change the world that they operate in too much you're it won't going be to on her anymore. Yeah, exactly. And I think that if if we don't get another great set of replicants although um, I, I don't know how on earth they're going to top the original cast for Right. I mean as much as I would love to get Rucker Howard to come back <laughs> i know right i'm not sure how you would make that work uh although actually uh he could show up as you know the template sure he could be the hum- the
0: human the human uh source material
1: which i believe uh was it uh i think that was a uh an aspect of the jeter was it i think it was jeter who did the sequels the book sequels Oh yeah, K.W. Jeter. That's right. Yeah, I believe that was an aspect of of the stories that he ran into the ran into the guy who was the basis. I would have to read that book again, but I think you're right. I I have to say I was not overly impressed with that, but I think part of that has to do is that he kind of tried to combine, "Do androids dream of electronic sheep?" Mm-hmm. and the movie and right. um they're really different creatures. Oh, they are. Yeah. They don't they you know, it's you don't want to sit there and hold them up side by side and try and try and find the the cross points because they are fewer and far between and yet it really is one of the finest adaptations of a Philip K Dick story. Yeah. Although Man in a High Castle lots of praise for it. So
0: you know, I just finished reading that book. It was part of our it's it's part of our Hugo list. You know, we're we're mm-hmm. slowly going through uh, Hugo winners in preparation for our coverage of WorldCon that's coming up in August. And I wasn't too impressed with that book. I read The Man in the High Council. The Man in the High Castle, and I thought, that's it. I got to the end of the book. I was like, where's the rest of it? <laughs> there's there's nothing to wait. Wait. Where's the rest of it? There's nothing to well, this again, story. I, I mean, think, it's, a, I it's think... a story about ideas, but it yeah. it it feels like the first of a set of stories.
1: Mm, it feels sure. like a setup.
0: It doesn't feel like it, it doesn't feel like a complete story in and of itself. Well, I don't know. Okay,
1: Dick is a, he's an interesting writer that I think he's one of those people who his level of storytelling ability his ideas that he was playing with and his very very troubled life and uh, some of that I think so much of that was timing yeah um it's like William it's like William S. Burroughs okay I'm not actually a fan um I the 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 beat generation writers I'm generally you know I'm just not impressed with and they just don't I mean they do nothing for me and and that's okay. They don't have to, but at the time, they were. They, they 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 were right at the right place in the right time for the right audience. Right. Oh, and can Philip you imagine King, a kind
0: of... beatnik in Indiana Jones?
1: Can I? Yes, <laughs> I have a very vivid imagination. Do I want to? No. No. <laughs> no. Um, although now you got me thinking, we need an Archie Indiana Jones crossover.
0: Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go, why not? We're getting men in black and twenty one jump street,
1: which I'm pretty sure I haven't been able to find it, but I'm pretty sure that's a sign of the apocalypse. I'm just saying we you
0: know um, what we need to do. We need to go back and we need to watch idiocracy and and do a do a discussion of just how much they got right
1: uh well, considering that that it is being used as a example of the political scene right now idiocracy yeah. is all over uh the the political media people talking about it um in context to where we are with the with the election season um yeah we should look at it we should look at it from from the science fiction uh you know standpoint
0: yeah there as there's well. there's but a discussion there i think in in a future episode
1: yeah it's um uh, you know th- and that's that's kind of scary if that's where we're getting it right. Yeah. You know.
0: <laughs> if, yeah, we don't get any yeah, you know, all the all all the post apocalyptic dystopian future stuff is nothing. Uh you know, they're they're not anywhere near what we're actually gonna get. It's gonna be idiocracy. Is gonna be yeah how our world ends up.
1: Well, hopeful hopefully uh, we won't get it won't get that bad but uh, <laughs> it certainly is it's certainly some interesting uh, uh, parallels that are kind of uncool yeah. although honestly you know a significant chunk of our future visions and you and I have talked about this before in the context of you know you know having some hope for the future um, you know we're you know there you you have to jump a couple hundred years into the future to get into the hope part. Everything that we're looking at like in the next hundred years, hundred and fifty years immediately goes to that dystopia All right um, but somehow we get past it because you know three hundred years down the line, we've got warp drive and transporters, and we're out exploring the universe yes, um, yes, so which we just have to, know, we,
0: gives us something to look forward to.
1: I know, it gets us we just gotta we just gotta get to the next century and a half and we're we're and we're gold. So
0: <laughs> Speaking of Gold, all okay, right. Um uh favorite scenes, uh favorite Indiana Jones scenes. Let's wrap up with that and then uh and then head out.
1: Um okay, so the uh the chase scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh with the truck at the end? With the yeah, with the truck yes. at the end. Yeah. Um of course, cannot one cannot talk about favorite scenes from Indiana Jones without talking about uh the scene in the market with the sword and the gun. Oh yes. Um Yeah, that's a good one too. And and of course the uh I, I, I you know, I remember being I remember being mildly traumatized by the heart the pulling out the heart scene. In oh Temple in Temple, of, Temple Doom. of Doom, yes. Although uh, I like I was not, that was very graphic. It was it I wasn't expecting it. Well, uh, and
0: that's and that's the reason why we got the P G thirteen rating. Indiana Jones of the Temple of Doom was the first movie to carry that. Yeah. Because of that very thing. I I as a counter to that, I like um how uh, the how the scene played out where a Short Round snapped Indy out of it, basically saying, you know, you're you're better than this. I you're you're not going to do this. This terrible, ma- terrible, terrible thing to me, um, and that pl- I thought that played really well uh, from an emotional depth uh, factor, um, and of course the the you call him Doctor Jones doll. That was always <laughs> fun. Um. Oh. When when Henry when Henry Jones sticks his head up out of the tank, and he says, "You call this archaeology? <laughs> Come on, Dad!" You know, it was that was fun.
1: Um, oh well, of course, you here, know, if you you know, you have to mention now. Uh, we called the dog Indiana.
0: Oh yes, <laughs> the dog. Your name for the dog. Oh, that was so funny. Well, and, and the, you know the idea that when they uh, when they set fire to the castle you know that whole escape uh yeah. and that chase and and but you know as a uh, when you get to the end of that when they stop at the crossroads and it's you know we got to go this way or this way and and you know the grail diaries in berlin we've got to go to berlin and get the book back and there's that emotional moment there about mom and it's like you know this is an obsession I never understood. Mom never understood it and and Connery's character sat there and goes, "Oh yes, she did and the the pain of that moment after all of this fun chase and sweeping epic and all of this you know daring do and adventuring, then you get that that emotional scene between those two about mrs. Jones and you know the impact that her death had on the both of them right in the middle of all of this, and then they go to Berlin and you know Adolf Hitler signs his autograph into the book i mean there's they, we're all over the place emotionally in that in that you know ten or fifteen minutes of the movie
1: well, if you think about it that that whole that could have been that whole movie could have just been. because it's you know he brought we brought in we brought in indiana jones dad right you know it's just it's the family dynamic we hadn't had the family uh, any kind of family dynamic in that uh in there yet and so it could have really 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 gone poorly the fact that it didn't um you know the script really was that good, and of course the performances were fantastic. Right,
0: and that's what um, sells it. You know, the the fact that that Connery plays that character so well, and the connection that those two actors have. and they're only what six, seven years apart in real life.
1: Yeah it 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 would uh it would be a very very uh, active childhood for the, <laughs> yeah, el- really? the elder Jones. Um. But yeah, no, it's it is it is a series of films that I think that our generation got that you had to go back to, you know, um, John Wayne or Gary Cooper or or uh, uh, Clark Gable or Humphrey Bogart to have that kind of you know recurring characters that came back. You know, in in that kind of social, uh, uh, you know, audience love kind of level, right? Um, Indiana jo- Indiana Jones is is uh, is kind of special when it comes to that sort of thing for for this generation, for for you and I, for our generation, and for our kids. And I'm so uh, glad
0: that this is not going to be a reboot. That we're not getting yeah, no. somebody else playing the character. I know the argument has been made that Indiana Jones should be like James Bond or Superman or Batman. You can have a different actor playing all the time.
1: I don't see that. I think you can, but it has to be after Harrison Ford. You know, I think I think there's I think if you if you do it right, then Indiana Jones can become that kind of character. But as long as, as long as Harrison Ford is alive. Yeah,
0: uh, I a, don't know.
1: Well, the, the the flip side of that is that it is also a callback to a kind of storytelling that if you, unless you are a fan of that kind of storytelling, younger audiences don't necessarily have the experience with it. True. Um, it's out there. It's out there. It's certainly you know I'm, I'm not 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 knocking the kids today. Um, <laughs> have I told them on I'm, my I'm lawn lately? I'm just saying that we had we had more of an exposure to it because we had fewer channels. Yeah. And on you know Saturday afternoons, if they ran a you know Commander Cody um, or Tom Mix and whatever, you know we didn't have a lot of other options to watch it. So we got the exposure, and we, a lot of times we fell in love with it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the younger generation has so much more to look at that they're you know, they not necessarily going to have that same kind of emotional connection that we had with it. Um, not to say they won't appreciate it, but it's, there's a, there's a uh, you know, this, was, this is a reference to the kind of storytelling that our parents got. Yeah. And because of their experience with it, they pass that on to us. And, and that sort of thing, you know, it's it's uh, it works best the closer you are to the source.
0: Well, I, for one, am looking forward to appreciating it. Indiana Jones 5 out in July of 2019. Blade Runner 2. I don't think we've got Do we have a release date on that one yet? Uh, they haven't started shooting on that one yet, I don't think. I don't so that one's still out there. Yet. Um, yeah. But Looking forward to both of those, and of course, Edward James almost going to be at Planet Comic Con this May, so we will definitely be asking him whether or not Detective Gaff will be coming back. That would uh, be awesome. That would, uh, if you've got a favorite Indiana Jones moment, or if you've got a favorite Blade Runner moment for that matter, or a favorite Harrison Ford moment, I guess, uh, I guess you could share those as well. Send us an email, h2o at sci fi for me.com. Uh, or you can leave a comment at all of the different places uh, on the social media, We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, Google+, YouTube, Tumblr. Uh, if you have uh, some Indiana Jones cosplay that you'd like to share with us, our our uh, our Pinterest boards are all cosplay all the time. We'd like to see you as Indy or uh, or any of the other characters. Uh, give us your best your best look, and uh, we'll we'll. Happily share that with others. Uh, in the meantime, go check out superhero stuff.com and we will have another discussion. We're we're lining up our topics uh, for a couple of different episodes out. We've got several different ideas percolating, but if you've got suggestions you want to share with us, we will uh, we will in, uh, entertain those as well. And in the meantime, uh, go watch some movies. Go watch some Indiana Jones, and we'll get ready for for Indy Five. Uh, Dun, my name da, is Jason
1: da, Hunt. Da, da, da. Sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Timothy Harvey.
1: Always a pleasure.
0: And uh, and as always, we do thank you for listening. Please be kind and share with others. Uh, if you listen to us on iTunes, uh, rate us. Uh, that's, that's how they know that people are listening. And uh, we will be back with another episode of H2O here on Sci-Fi for Me Radio next week. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi for Me Radio, copyright 2016 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. This is Sci-Fi for Me Radio.